whether it's the books, whether it is, say, early investments in various companies, you know, Shopify, Uber, Duolingo, et cetera, uh, the psychedelic stuff, moving to Austin in 2017, whatever, in every single one of those cases, those came from me feeling a pain and desperately searching for something that would alleviate pain. What do $20 CDs, vagina-scented candles, and a book that spent four years on the bestseller list have in common? If the connection isn't immediately clear, you're about to see the world like never before. Well, I'm so excited to be here for the first episode of First in Line, and I am thrilled to be joined by Gwyneth Paltrow and Tim Ferriss. You'll be hard-pressed to find two people better at predicting the next big thing than Gwen and Tim. Let's face it, Gwyneth is a unicorn. She's an entrepreneur, actress, author, model, singer, and mom. She's won an Academy Award, a Golden Globe, and an Emmy. In addition to all of that, many people today know her as the founder of Goop. Tim Ferriss is an entrepreneur, investor, five-time best-selling author, and the host of the insanely popular podcast, The Tim Ferriss Show. Whether you've read The 4-Hour Workweek, The 4-Hour Body, Tools of Titans, or you're one of the more than 800 million downloads of his podcast, Tim continues to predict big opportunities way before they happen. And that's exactly why we had to bring these two together. Neither Gwyneth or Tim is afraid to call their shot, put themselves out there, or create and invest in trends that undeniably impact today's culture. Trends might seem like passing fads, but the ability to know what will pop before it's popular is the gift that keeps giving. This podcast is called First in Line because each episode will identify trends early, see new ways to rethink old industries, and discover breakthrough technologies before they hit it big. But there's one problem. Every day, you're surrounded by lots of noise, and most of it never amounts to anything special. That's because many trends start sounding crazy and are easy to miss. In this episode, I want to help you understand how to become a trend spotter, pick the right categories, and take you behind the scenes of some of the best stories you've never heard. This episode is brought to you by Element. I'm obsessed with all things health and wellness. I love learning about the latest trends, trying different hacks, and figuring out what works best for my body. And if there's one thing I know for certain, it's that hydration is essential to better health. Unfortunately, most of us don't realize that there's a more effective way to hydrate. Element is a tasty, science-backed electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means just the right amount of salt without all the sugar, food coloring, artificial ingredients, and other unnecessary fillers. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. That's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a friend. Get yours at Drink lmnt.com slash Brit. Try it risk-free and experience the endless benefits of better hydration. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. One of the hardest parts of being an entrepreneur and mom is making sure I create a daily routine that keeps me healthy. 
AG1 is a big part of making sure I win my mornings. Instead of taking endless vitamins and pills, one scoop of AG1 provides 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help me start my day right. It gives me the peace of mind I need to ensure I'm taking care of my gut health, supporting my immune system, and naturally boosting my energy and focus. As a listener of First in Line, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Morin to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I am so... So excited to be here with two people that I look up to, two people that I call friends, and two people that are seemingly on top of every trend that comes down the pike, and I can't wait to hear how they do it. So Gwyneth Paltrow and Tim Ferriss, thank you so much for joining us on this first inaugural episode of First in Line. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This is the first time you guys have met which I can't even believe. How does that feel? It is. feels great. We have a lot of, I mean, we have a number of mutual friends. So it's, it's nice to actually connect in person, albeit virtually. So it is nice That's to meet true. you, Gwyneth. Likewise, I'm a fangirl. I've, I've, I've loved you from afar, Tim, for a long time. So this is, I'm a little starstruck, but I'll keep it together. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel like quite the matchmaker today then. Um, and I've gotten the, the chance to know you, Tim. I think we met, um, I want to say it was like 2007 or 8. Um, Four-hour work week was just coming out. A few out. days back. Yeah, yeah a few a days back. And um, I've gotten to to watch you as as a friend and a follower with this meteoric rise of every, everything you've done. And, you know, you've been on top of some of the most interesting things many years before they've happened and vice versa. You know, Gwyneth, you've done the same. I think, you know, you've been in the spotlight for so long, but having launched Goop around that same time in 2008, you saw a future for wellness and beauty and fashion that was so much different than what anyone was seeing at the time. Um, and we've gotten to know each other over the last few years, which has been lovely as well. When I was talking to someone the other day about bringing you two on this show, they said to me, you know, what's really interesting about each of them. They both seem to get obsessed with a topic and go like so deep down the rabbit hole into researching the topic, figuring out everything about the topic, like, and then they just can't help but talk about it to everyone else. <laughs> and so, I, first of all, does that ring true, Tim, I guess, first to you? Well, I think that I, I've, some, I've been thinking about this topic since I knew I was going to be on this show and <laughs> wanted to have some type of coherent response to questions. I, I have, I think, by hook or crook, by accident or design, ended up a few years ahead on a number of bets of different types. But uh, I don't know... I don't know what the undercurrent or the through line is there other than, and we can come back to this, I think I'm very, very sensitive and I feel a lot and that that is a huge liability in a lot of ways because I feel pain and frustration, I think, more easily than a lot of people and that is a sentence that I would not wish upon my worst enemy. However, what that means is I end up being the canary in the coal mine for a lot of 
solutions that I find to address pain or frustration that I am feeling. So I think mm-hmm. that is probably the through line. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Gwyneth? I think, you know, a little bit similar to that, I feel like I am a true like searcher. And I think it comes from, you know, when you have unrest or pain or, um, you know, things that are in your childhood that are difficult to explain or metabolize and you feel like there's some part of you that's unresolved and you don't necessarily have the vocabulary or a rubric to follow to fix it. And which is, you know, very much the case when I came of age, I feel like, but I felt also this, I guess maybe spirituality or some like belief that there was a path to having real agency as a person and having healing and being able to forge that. And so I think a lot of my, you know, being ahead of the curve as it were really comes from a personal journey to want to understand like why we're here, why we have all suffered to varying degrees, like what does an optimal or optimized life look like? You know, do we have the power to change the trajectory of our lives or, you know, are things set in stone? Um, And so my, I guess, journey through this stuff is really, it's just been from a very personal place. Do you also consider yourself a sensitive person like Tim was talking about? Because I'm married to someone who would call themselves a sensitive person and feels emotions very deeply. And I I think I'm married to him because I'm the opposite. I <laughs> I don't think I feel I don't think I feel emotion enough. And yet I, I still believe that I can sense trends, but maybe in a different way. Um and probably not as good as either of you. But you know, when a would you call yourself a sensitive person or an intuitive person in that regard? Yes, very much so. Very, very much so. And do you think that's necessary for being able to have this kind of superpower? Well, I'm not sure I have a superpower, but I think there are two different paths to it, right? It's like there is probably the way you do it, which is like very much a trend report, like those people who are geniuses and can kind of like aggregate and distill data and be like, I think this is coming because I've seen X, Y, and Z. And then there are people who are probably more like Tim and I, like, I just feel this and I just kind of know it and, or I just want to try it and see. And then we sometimes are right. And then people sometimes, you know, we'll break the internet or people will make a lot of fun of us. And then two years later, the whole country will be doing what (laughs) they made fun of us for doing. Well, that is a perfect segue into my next topic. Tim, have you ever heard about the vagina scented candle? (laughs) (laughs) I have. I have. You have? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. So you broke the internet, Gwyneth. Um, I I love this story. I've heard it before, but can you tell the story of the vagina scented candle and specifically like why you believed that would be something people might buy? Well, it's not a vagina scented candle. It's very much just a floral scented candle, but it's called this smells like my vagina. Um, and, And basically like, I guess the best way to... Uh, surmise it is that we at Goop, like we try, we think that having 
the difficult conversations is really, really important. And especially there's so much shame around women's sexuality. And, um, and so the candle really serves as a provocation so that people will be like, what, like, what does this mean? And why would someone do this? And, and, and really just to create a space for a conversation to occur around, you know, cause if you think about, it really drives me crazy that women were always made to feel like in my day, like ashamed of their vagina or like it's, it's gross or like, you, you know, you have to do X, Y, or Z. And there's like scented, you know, things you're supposed to put in there that are full of carcinogens. And, and it's like, what about just like, why, what's wrong with us? Like, why, why do we get this message so strongly from culture and society? And, and I really believe that like, if a woman is fully embracing her anatomy, her body, her sexuality, then she can operate from a much more integrated and strong place. And, and have that, have those messages, uh, distilled themselves into sales of this said candle. Was it, <laughs> and did you think that would happen? No, because really the, it was like an accident how it first happened. I was working with our, the guy who, um, does our scents and everything. He's an amazing, he's makes an all non-toxic scents, natural and synthetic, but non-toxic synthetics. And, you know, I was, I, I like scents that are sort of more unusual. And there was one that was kind of like, it had like tomato leaf and seaweed. And I was like, oh, and I made a joke about it smelling like a vagina. And then he made the candle. And then all, all of a sudden we were selling this candle and then everybody freaked out. But I thought it was actually like the most brilliant, happy accident because, you know, what a great way to start a conversation about like being integrated in your body. And then, and now, you know, we have, now we have hands off my vagina, which was made in the, when there were whisperings of the row decision and, and we have, um, a collaboration with Courtney Kardashian, who has a website called Poosh. She has a wellness website called Poosh and it's called, this smells like my Pooshy. <laughs> and, uh, that is really about how society is constantly trying to pit women against each other. And, I think it's like a, a relic of the patriarchy, but that's a whole other podcast. But anyway, um, I, you know, I'm like, fuck this, like stop pitting us against each other. We're allowed to be, we're allowed to be in the swimming in the same stream and there's plenty for everybody. And we actually, I, I actually believe that more water makes all the boats rise. So the candles have kind of become like our, you know, provocations, our statements around like their, their, our, their feminism, really modern feminism. Yeah, but I think what you did there is you you sort of broadly saw a theme, right? Like women are ashamed of their vaginas, um, specific and certainly of like maybe how they smell. Uh, you know, this like feminine empowerment message that has gotten stronger and stronger over time. I would argue, and you thought about how to productize that into something that people might buy as as a statement, but also like it's a product, it's a business, you know. Um, and I, I think that's brilliant and is an example of seeing a trend as a, as a category and then figuring out how to distill it down into something a little bit more tactile. Um, Tim, you've done this a million times, I feel like. I mean, so much of your work, even from the four-hour work week, is I think just now coming into <laughs> to fruition, like remote work and like email overload and all of these different things. But are there some trends when you think back into kind of what you've distilled to the world over the last you know 20 years that 
you really believe you hit the nail on the head, uh, even though they might have taken years to come into the mainstream? I do. Before before I expand on that, I want to underscore for myself something that Gwen has said, which is the <laughs> the word sometimes. So let's certainly also come back to talk about when I got things totally ass backwards and make mistakes <laughs> because there are plenty of those, but people tend to remember the highlight reel depending on how things turn out. So I, I would say that also just as a macro observation, I would say that within the realm of trends, you have different skill sets and different ways to identify or create trends. So you have, let's just say, as Gwyneth also mentioned, people who are analytical, who are able to deduce from relatively available data trends that exist currently, that's one, and then capitalize on those. Another would be looking at converging trend lines that may connect in two, three, five years. I think very good venture capitalists are, are tend to be, if they do it for a very long period of time, good at that. Then you have people who make trends. And I think uh, Gwyneth would also fit in that category where you can not just identify, but also help to catalyze trends, which I distinguish from fads. We might come back to that. And then I think you have what I mentioned at the very beginning with, say, the four-hour work week, which was, uh, I think, in some senses, an early taste of trends that then became very ubiquitous from a tech technology perspective or for our body, most of which has, I shouldn't say most, but like 70, 80% of which was sort of scoffed at at the time, which has since been corroborated by a lot of scientific literature. So you have that, but I, I just want to point out whether it's the books, whether it is say early investments in various companies, you know, Shopify, Uber, Duolingo, et cetera, uh, the psychedelic stuff, moving to Austin in 2017, whatever. In every single one of those cases, those came from me feeling a pain and desperately searching for something that would alleviate pain, either for me or for my audience in the case mm -hmm. of Shopify and e-commerce. And that sometimes, and I see this among investors, there's a tendency to want to complicate things because it bestows a certain sophistication on whatever you're doing. But in fact, my biggest bets that have turned out have all come from some type of personal need that wasn't being met or a personal pain that wasn't being resolved. And I think if most people paid more attention to those signals, which are sometimes a whisper across a crowded room, it's not always hitting you over the head. But if people really paid attention to their personal needs and just assumed that their needs or pains probably apply to many other people and not just themselves, mm -hmm. that accurate trend spotting or creation would be much more prevalent. Uh, so that's my... GP, you're nodding. You're okay. nodding. Do you want to add on to that? Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I mean, I think, I think all resonant things, whether, you know, come from someone having a personal authentic problem to solve and then that will resonate with other people and then you know it 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 kind of can can grow from there i think you know there are certain things where if i look back and i think 
you know, even at the time, like when my first husband and I got divorced and we were trying to do it in this nice way. And like, you know, I wrote this piece on Goop about conscious uncoupling and like the ire that it provoked. And, um, and you know, when, and I thought like, gosh, we're just like, I really like, no matter what anybody says, I really believe that if you, if you genuinely want to put your children first, you have to figure this out. And I'm sorry if it's triggering because maybe your parents hate each other or, you know, you don't feel good about the way you divorced or whatever, which I completely understand. But I, I think sometimes it's important to, in my position and like to continue to move straight through the heart of it, if you believe in it. And then the rewards come later, you know, and people are like, oh, you know, now people will stop me and say, thank you so much. I, you know, my husband and my ex-husband and I are really good friends and it was really hard. And thank you for, for providing a template for it. But at the time, I remember thinking like, man, this is, I didn't expect so much negativity. And I think you get that negativity when actually there is a great deal of resonance, which can be positive or negative. So is negativity perhaps like a a signal you might be on to something? Like if you struck if you struck a chord that binary to what most people believe, like maybe that's a big enough deal to make a movement happen. I think the way I, I look at it is like if there's if there's a really negative reaction to something, it means that there's just a lot unhealed there in the person or in the people. And so there's definitely opportunity for sure. Tim, you must have gotten a ton of negative reaction to the four-hour body, four-hour work week. Oh, it's, I remember it's, it's what not, was the It's chap- not over. <laughs> it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, it's still going. Alive and well. Yeah. I, uh, I specifically remember the chapter on orgasms that um, I, oh, yeah. two, all of my female friends, yeah, all of my female <laughs> friends were like, what does he know about orgasm? Um, and and yeah. um, uh, it also makes me think that you, you need to have kind of thick skin when you're, when you're going to be like a risk taker and and dive into some of this. I mean, we are all entrepreneurs um, and investors. So I think we've grown thick skin and and various levels of influence and celebrity. But um, for the average person out there, you know, if they believe in something, they want to try something. I mean, it could be as simple as like getting into crypto, you know, when most of the world's saying this is a fad, this is not a big deal. Like, what do you tell them? You know, what what do you advise them to do? Even if everyone around them is saying, this is so stupid, this is never going to be a thing, you're dumb. Others just, <laughs> just believe in yourself. Here's the name of my therapist. <laughs> Make an appointment. <laughs> I would say there's a lot to potentially unpack there, so I'll take a stab at it. The first thing I will say is not actually any statement. It'll be a series of questions because I want to understand what someone's motivators and drivers are and what success looks like. And I I very frequently do this when people say, I'm going to write a book. And I'm like, before you do that, let's just talk about it for a minute. And there are a few things. Number one, just because you want to do something and believe in it and a lot of people disagree does not mean you're right. So I, I want to point that out too, because I've certainly suffered from that type of hubris before and have been punished very handily by the universe for it. <laughs> and second, uh, and we don't necessarily have to spend a lot of time on this, but I wrote a blog post at some point called 11 reasons not to become famous. And I just, I think particularly given the incentives 
and algorithm-driven popularity contests that have completely hijacked hundreds of millions of minds, possibly billions of minds at this point, that it's important to understand what, what any degree of notoriety or fame provides and what it is, does not provide. And in addition to that, what the costs and trade-offs are because it's not a free lunch. So I would just say I'm highly, highly, highly skeptical of, and this also comes to the topic of separating real, sustainable, or inevitable trends from fads. If something is heavily driven by prestige, pride, fame, likes, I'm extremely cautious and uh, so that's probably where I would start. And then what's I an would example say, of something like that? Sorry to jump in, but just to give the listeners some sure ideas. Uh, I mean, well, I would say an example of that is anyone who believes their problems will be solved and they will live happily ever after if they become an in- influencer with X number of followers, subscribers, likes, whatever it might be, and uh, that is a. I think it's a Faustian bargain and it's very speculative. It's much more speculative than a lot of things. I mean, how many people are being told right now they have to be on TikTok? Remember Vine? How many people committed mm-hmm. fully to Vine? How'd that turn out? Totally. So I believe that it really pays. And maybe this is another advantage that I've had, which has been both accidental and then afterwards, I think more deliberate. And that is putting yourself in a position where you have a lot of random encounters with very smart people who are doing interesting things on the weekends. So the question of like, what are the nerds doing on the weekends? (laughs) The people who explore very strange corners, what are they doing with their free time outside of their day job is a really easy way to identify things that are probably coming two, three years later. How do you find those nerds? Twitter, Put your, <laughs> Instagram, we know so, a lot of people, yeah. but for the average person out there, like what do they do? It's very, very clear. I mean, I moved to, I moved to the Bay area. That is one thing I did. I think for all of the benefits and ease of virtual spaces, you still cannot replace. I mean, I know people who are very heavily involved with web three and NFTs and so on, and they are physically moving to Los Angeles to build entertainment companies and media companies. Now, why would you do that in a world that is providing all of this low hanging virtual fruit? Because it still matters is the short answer. And if you want to spend time with those people when they are not working, uh, or AKA spent frittering away a lot of time on the internet while they're at work, then you need to be socially positioned to encounter those people. And not to say everybody should move to Silicon Valley, especially now, (laughs) but uh, I do think there is a physical component where you have to steep just like a tea in that environment for a certain period of time before you have the water sense and the navigational ability to end up putting yourself in places to really encounter serendipity. I just found that over and over and over again. Uh, so that, that would be one. I think that's interesting. Uh, that would I, I would maybe argue if, if, you, if you can't physically move, which I agree is maybe the best thing because IRL is, is better than internet life. But um, you can go into these pockets of the internet, like deep, weird pockets of the internet where some of these people 
converse, yeah. right? And I mean, I know you, you can, probably do this. You probably both do this. Like I read these weird science papers, uh, like breaking science studies and, you know, like figuring out how the metabolism affects mental health. And it, it, I'm on these like obscure scientific websites um, and I see who these scientists are and I follow them on Twitter. And then I like go deep into their posts and read their threads. And like, I'm doing my own research about a category that's really interesting or new to me. And, you know, maybe I'll DM them at some point and get to know them, but you, you do have to kind of do a little bit of work, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah. I'd love to hear Gwyneth's uh, thoughts on this uh, because I think you can, for instance, I think Reddit is an incredibly interesting tool for exploring subreddits of different types and subcultures of different types. The challenge there is that you don't then get the opportunity to have a dinner with someone in the same sort of geographical vicinity and say, hey, you've never mentioned X, Y, and Z. What do you think of it? Because I know you've seen it. Uh, but uh, and, and I don't think that there's a consensus about this. I just think it's one kind of layup if you have some flexibility in your location. But I'd, I'd love to hear Gwyneth's thoughts on this. I'm, I, I try to constantly surround myself with people that know more than me are, have done deeper dives than I ever could do on any particular thing. And I think I've, you know, during the COVID era have become so insular, um, that, and I notice that, you know, interaction, and this is whether, you know, this is a topic of going back to work or hybrid or remote. It's like interaction is so important. And I think, and and we learn so much from bumping into people on the street and making connections. And um, so, because for the past few years, I, honestly, I, I've, I've been like cold calling people and saying, do you want to come to dinner? You know, I'd love to meet you and, and talk to you about X, Y, or Z, which is, which is great. But I, I do, I do agree that Tim, going to a place with a high concentration of people who are going to be professors to you in life and mentors and and inspire you and stimulate you, like that is by far the best way, I think, to remain a learner and just to stay galvanized. You know, it's like I think if you're an inherent, inherently curious person, you you just want to be around people in the flesh and see how they gesticulate and see how they, what they get passionate about. And, and so I agree. I think it's important to surround yourself with those people as well. As good as the internet is. I mean, I'm too scared to go on Reddit personally, but you, know. <laughs> you can get way lost in deep Reddit. Uh, <laughs> um, I've experienced that before for sure. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. One of the hardest parts of being an entrepreneur and mom is making sure I create a daily routine that keeps me healthy. AG1 is a big part of making sure I win my mornings. Instead of taking endless vitamins and pills, one scoop of AG1 provides 75 high-quality vitamins and minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help me start my day right. It gives me the peace of mind I need to ensure I'm taking care of my gut health, supporting my immune system, and naturally boosting my energy and focus. As a listener of First In Line, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Britt Morin to take ownership of your health 
and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This episode is brought to you by Element. I'm obsessed with all things health and wellness. I love learning about the latest trends, trying different hacks, and figuring out what works best for my body. And if there's one thing I know for certain, it's that hydration is essential to better health. Unfortunately, most of us don't realize that there's a more effective way to hydrate. Element is a tasty, science-backed electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means just the right amount of salt without all the sugar, food coloring, artificial ingredients, and other unnecessary fillers. Right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets, free, with any Element order. That's a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a friend. Get yours at drinklmnt.com slash Brit. Try it risk-free and experience the endless benefits of better hydration. Tim, you mentioned something about um, some of the things that you had done over the last few years that felt early. One of them was you said moving to Austin in 2017. I'm curious what why you did that. What did you see about Austin? You know, were you, whereas you were just talking about L.A. and Silicon Valley, you know, was there something about Austin that was compelling to you? Well, there's something about Austin that I'd liked before I graduated from college, actually, uh, and I don't want to turn this into a sales pitch for Austin. I, I, there, there are many things I it's love about Austin. It's my second child's name, and it's my hometown. Yeah. So you can if you want right. to. The, thir- the, the, yeah. the, third, the third coast, right? So I do love many things about Austin. It was more so the catalyst was feeling like San Francisco was a city in decline, upon which a certain general malaise was beginning to settle, just like the fog rolling in from the bay. And I simply saw sort of the convalescence of a previously vibrant city. And you could sense it in the people. I I mean, and that maybe is just an exaggeration or maybe it's a sensitivity, but I could just tell that things had changed from when I moved there to the city, right? Because I was in the Bay Area for 17 years. The feeling from even 2008, 2009, dot-com depression of 2008, even then, things were more optimistic than the last handful of years when I was there. And the the competition was still alive and well, but the optimism and excitement and energy tone had changed. And I would say that's what drove then the decision to look at a handful of different options and looked at Austin and I was like, there's no way over the next few years, there's not an exodus. Now, I did not anticipate that COVID would accelerate that in the way that it did, of course. But I was also early on COVID, right? I mean, I, be, I began writing about COVID exceptionally early, which comes back to surrounding yourself with people who are obsessively focused on different things and different areas of expertise. So... Uh, I would say that it was more the sensing of a problem in Silicon Valley or San Francisco more specifically and looking for alternatives from there and assuming also looking at the the, the pre-existing level of growth in Austin, there's almost no scenario in which I can imagine this going the opposite direction. So it felt like a very reasonable risk to take. The downside was very limited and the upside was very high. That's another way I try to place bets. And I'll say just one more thing and then I'll shut up, which is one of the risks of surrounding yourself with really smart people who are well-spoken is that they can 
with their artful silver tongues of, of vocabulary and turns of phrase convince you that almost anything is coming or a good idea, which is part of the reason why I feel like I have been blessed in ultimately ending up with a lot of friends who invest. So you get to see how their bets turn out. They have a scoreboard. <laughs> and mm. so you then can determine who is able to separate the signal from the noise, who is actually an original thinker versus just trying to cram themselves into the latest hot deal because they have FOMO. And in that way, you become better at identifying who is actually looking around corners and who is just claiming to look around corners. Would you argue that that's something that people should do if they're, they're just kind of starting, they're like, okay, I'm going to be a little bit more like risky person. I'm going to like try to tap into this new and next stuff, but I don't really know what I'm doing. So whatever Gwyneth does, I'm just going to do what she said. Like you pick your people and you kind of co-invest um, in different areas of your life alongside them. Like, okay, Tim moved to Austin. Maybe I'll move to Austin. <laughs> um, I think that's a bad idea. To, bad idea. You have to originate. <laughs> how, or how do you originate your own self-thinking? Like if you're just getting started in this. I think you have to get good at asking yourself a lot of questions and Ultimately, thinking is asking and answering questions in your own head. So you need to develop a good set of questions. Uh, borrowed conviction is a really dangerous thing. I've learned that, <laughs> certainly. I was fortunate that I just got my face ripped off in my first few angel investments because I was borrowing investment uh, conviction and just following on other people. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I just lost half my bankroll for all of this in three months. Maybe I should slow my roll and begin to think about this differently. So I was fortunate in that sense, which would be the opposite of a lot of people who say in the last two years did really well in crypto and concluded that they were super geniuses, even though they'd never invested in any other climate. And <laughs> correspondingly, a lot of them lost everything. So I would say, ask people who you respect what questions they have asked themselves that led to some of their milestone decisions, both good and bad. And then start borrowing those questions and asking yourself those questions. Gwyneth, do you agree with that? I yeah, of course. I, I I think that I'm just thinking about it like with respect to how I, and I was just like like truly asking myself because I think a lot of times I am very instinctual and I trust my instincts and sometimes that's dumb, um, but. Usually it's not. Um, and so what I've been trying to do as I, you know, hopefully get wiser as I get older, because I'm definitely getting older, um, is try to marry that very strong instinctual feeling I have with information. And I think, Tim, that's a really brilliant point to ask people who you respect, like what are the questions they ask themselves and I think any introspection that's really true is going to lead somewhere good. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's an art and science is kind of what you're saying, but probably like weighted more towards the art, towards the instinct, the intuition. Uh, yeah, I would I would also say, if I could just hop in on the intuition front, you know this this word gets used a lot in many different ways. Just like happiness and success get used in so many contexts that sometimes it's hard to agree upon a definition, but I will say that the way that I have come to think about intuition, which is different from impulse, 
for me. Uh, intuition is something where analytically, intellectually, you might actually feel you should do the opposite, but your gut, there's something in your physiology that is telling you to do something else. And sometimes those two are aligned. Very frequently for me, they are not aligned because I tend to get stuck up here in this you know, mega, mega head that I have. And, uh, which is just to say I have a large head, not a huge brain. Um, it's a gigantic Danish skull. Like it's, uh, we, we both know Kevin Rose, uh, <laughs> Brit, yep. and I remember at one point, Kevin and I had a couple of drinks. This is a kind of an irrelevant side story, but I literally said, since maybe people are listening to this audio, we got a little drunk and I, and Kevin said he had a bigger head than me. And I was like, not only do you not have a bigger head than me, but my head is bigger around than your wife's waist. And he was like, what? And we measured it. And in fact, my head is bigger around than her waist. Uh, wow. but, but anyway, let me, let me put my bragging to one side. And I will say that intuition, what we think of as intuition, I have come to appreciate so much more in the last, especially five years, as a system of identifying threats primarily but also just reading environment and intention of other people, et cetera, that predates our verbal abilities by a very long time indeed. So it is a system of not necessarily thinking, but perceiving and decision-making that I have come to value very highly because there is tremendous evolutionary pressure on that having been naturally selected. And I, I will just say that in addition to that, when I write a book or I'm looking at a startup or thinking about moving to a new location, whatever it might be, let's just take the example of a book or a podcast. If I am deeply interested in it, if I want to know the answers, if I want something or someone to help me try to satisfy a goal or a desire or a need or to address a pain, I know that at least I have an audience of one. And I think that is really important. You know you at least have an audience of one. That's yourself. And if you try to infer and speculate what the largest number of people are going to like, you are going to become a caricature of whatever the desires and the whims of the audience are. And we see this all the time on social media where people get more and more extreme on the right and left and in between where suddenly whatever got the most views on YouTube becomes their next 10 videos. And before you know it, they need to act that role forever or they feel that. And that's a terrible place to be. So mm -hmm. audience of one matters a lot. I would just, uh, even audience like to, of t 10 or a hundred. I mean, I teach this to uh, aspiring entrepreneurs all the time. Like you can't build for the whole world. You need to build for yeah. one little small niche at a time, get validation, build the next thing, you know? And I, and I think it starts with you. You're right. I think most entrepreneurial stories start with the founder solving their own problems. Right. I mean, you did that with, with Goop, right? Like Gwyneth in 2008, you were like, why, it, why doesn't this information exist? I'm just going to curate it into a, an email newsletter, uh, right? And it grew from there. Is that how you thought about it back then? Yeah, I think it was kind of early-ish days. And I just couldn't find anything online that I felt was for me and had the right restaurant recommendations. And I was getting super curious about wellness and um and had had, you know, through witnessing my dad's 
journey with cancer and, you know, trying to kind of heal him by proxy, you know, getting really into healthy food and all of that. And I just, there was just nowhere for any of that information. And there was no kind of like chic yet, you know, hippie-ish <laughs> place on the internet for, for people like me. So, you know, and I had also always been the person that my friends had called like, you know, because I had done a movie in France for four months and kind of had reams of information and restaurants and, you know, all kinds of information. Um, and so I wanted, I wanted a place to put all, all of my research as well. Mm-hmm. So I mean, switch gears a little bit because um, I want to know the times you got your ass handed to you, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I think most people would probably love to hear about. So you can pick however many, but I'm sure. I, tell me, first of all, what you think your your hit rate is, if you had to pick a percentage, <laughs> zero to 100. And are there any <laughs> examples where you knew it was so right and you were dead wrong? I mean, I could go for... I could go for another hour on this. Uh, I will say, just in case I forget, that at some point, because I'm like at best a F uh, F level mini internet celebrity who's like 14 minutes of his 15 minutes of fame, I would actually like to ask Gwyneth at some point when she has friends or acquaintances or the kids of acquaintances or friends who want to become famous mm. if there's anything she says to those people because mm. like Gwyneth has been a tier <laughs> for a long time and I, I just have never had that experience or perspective. So I'm happy to go into losses and mistakes, but uh, do you mind if we take a detour and Let's just go do to it. that? Let's do it. Let's detour. Yeah. Right. You cool with that, right. GP? <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean, if I'm going to be really honest, I think fame is kind of the worst thing that can happen to a person. And I think it brings out all of the, it can bring out all of the worst aspects because what happens is people start removing all of your obstacles and obstacles are the way that you, you grow and you get put in check. And certainly for me, when I was, you know, in my mid twenties and really in the public eye, um, my father actually pulled me aside w one day. I was probably like, you know, 27 or 28. And he was like, you know, you're kind of turning into an asshole. And I was shocked because like the changes felt, it felt so incremental to me. And I, I had no, I had no gauge to understand that I, that, you know, my expectations were becoming unrealistic or I was losing patience or whatever it was. And thank God that I had him. And he, and he said that because I realized in that moment, oh, this is really dangerous. Like people have this, they think fame is this, it's like, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a power or it's like a magic. And so it, people gravitate towards it. People think that if they had it, things would be easy. And yes, there are some things, you know, you can usually get a dinner reservation, which is great. Um, <laughs> other than that, I think, I think it's very, very, very destructive. So when people ask me, you know, and I also come from a time, you know, not to sound like a relic, but you had to be famous for something. You had to produce 
a New York Times bestseller. You had to create a company. You had to star in a film. You had to create something that was meaningful and resonant. And now we live in an era where fame is its own thing for its own sake. And that really freaks me out because mm. then you have, I think, all of the the downside of it and without the counterbalance of the gravitas of like what you're working so hard to put into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I always recommend people not, not try to do it. And, you know, tell us like, I say to kids who, you know, I say, if you, if you are going to die, if you don't write a song or make a painting or star in a movie or become a founder, then you have to do it. Like if you know to the center of your bones that this is why you are here, then do it. And then let go of the outcome. Cause if you're doing it for fame or recognition, it's the wrong reason. And I, I don't, I tend to think it doesn't really happen. I think in some cases it does. I think we, we see cases of people who are famous because they wanted to be famous, but I think it's fleeting and I think it doesn't, it doesn't happen. There has to be such a deep authenticity for what you're trying to create and, and put into the world. Mm-hmm. I, and I read a statistic recently, 62% of Gen Z claim they want to be an influencer or a celebrity, which boggles my mind. Um, I, in the spirit of trends, I do wonder if this is a generational trend. This is the social media, digital native, you know, generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, will the next one want to be equally as private? You know, will it, will it kick back? Cause that's what we see in these trend lines a lot, right? Like you go way too far and one end of the spectrum and it, and it dials all the way back. Um, but but I, I agree with you. And I think it leads me to the question of like, why why do we even care about finding these trends? Like what's in it for us? Is, is it fame? Is it money? Is it just to pe- like to settle, satisfy your own curiosity? Like what is it for each of you as you're out there voraciously going down these rabbit holes, figuring out psychedelics and, you know, ayahuasca, like all these different things. Why are you doing that? Why are you working so hard? Tim, do you want to take that? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I appreciate the assumption that I'm working really hard. It's uh, trying to trying to rebrand after that whole four hour work week thing. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, I will say that, and this might sound strange, spotting trends doesn't actually matter to me. Uh, I don't. I don't spend a lot of my energy very little energy trying to identify trends. And that comes back to your previous question of mistakes. When I have not had a personal connection with something, when I do not feel like I am on the playing field with this problem or this desire, not just in the spectator stands, when I try to use my underdeveloped ability to empathize and sympathize and speculate in that way, I get hammered when we're talking about, say, investment bets or even creative projects for that matter. So I don't spend a lot of time thinking about trends. I do sometimes see trends, right? I mean, talking about all of the influencer fame for fame's sake type of directives among many of the, not just younger, but certainly younger generations. It's like, Okay, you want to bet? I'll give you my alpha. My alpha is, and this is speculation, 
go very, very long mental health treatment because we are going to have an unbelievable hockey stick in, I think, the diagnoses of many issues that are going to be tremendously amplified by the incentive structures and algorithms in place for these platforms, which is why I haven't had any social apps on my phone for two years now. I realize that I am under qualified to handle that type of onslaught. I mean, billions of dollars of salaries and R&D are going into ensuring these are as compulsively addictive as possible. And if you think you're going to defeat that, you are delusional. Like you, you are taking a knife to a gunfight. So I just took them off my phones. And- Keep in mind, like my team still uses social all the time for all sorts of stuff, but it's more of a broadcast medium. Um, So I don't spend a lot of time thinking about trends, uh, but I sometimes end up betting on something that resonates with me because I assume I can't be the only one. I cannot be the only one. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that catches, sometimes it doesn't. On the mistake side, so I mentioned one, and that is something I don't have a connection with that I'm inferring or speculating around another category of mistake would be anything FOMO related. If, if, if anything is FOMO related, which almost always means there is a, an artificial urgency or emergency that is set around it. And, you know, certainly Brit, you've seen this and your husband has seen this where it's like, well, we're, we technically are closing in 12 hours, but oh we're oversubscribed and we could squeeze you in for $12 if you can commit to doing these 75 things. And it's just this culture of cortisol that is <laughs> is completely unhelpful on so many levels. I have succumbed to that in the past and almost always those have been complete failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, in the last category, I would say if you make a decision once, and I'm not going to mention the company, but I've, I've made a number of decisions about a specific company in terms of investments and did really, really well. And suddenly my friends considered me like the X company whisperer. I could do no wrong. I could see into my crystal ball and predict the future. And I began to believe that. And then I made a couple of catastrophic, huge bets. And like within a month just got my face completely ripped off and was like, wow, okay. Listen, Ferris, uh, you don't walk on water and maybe best not to go monkey tilt with your trading because that was stupid. Uh, And uh, I mean, there are dozens of examples that fit into those categories. But to answer one of your sub questions, which was, what is your percentage hit rate? You don't have to get a lot right if you cap your downside and you have huge asymmetrical upside on the things you get right. You can get a lot wrong. You can get mm-hmm. 70, 80, 90% of them wrong. If you have one bet that pays off 100x, 1000x, you can still come out way, way ahead. Mm-hmm. But that entails asking a lot of good questions about the type of game you are playing. And everyone who's listening to this is playing a bunch of games. We all are. Like If you have shelter and food, and clothing. Beyond that, you're choosing games to play. And step number one is figuring out which games you're playing and then choosing the best games possible. So if you choose and understand the rules of 
playing a game well, like let's just say venture capital or angel investing, as long as you don't break those rules, which is very hard uh, at points, you can, I, th I think, I wouldn't say easily, but you can come out ahead even if you're wrong 80% of the time. And I would say in terms of losing all of my money put into given projects or ventures, uh, at least 80% fatality rate for me. Mm-hmm. Which I think is, is stand, I mean, it's the way we forecast venture models right here in Silicon Valley, which I, I guess I'm the only lost person on earth that lives here. Um, <laughs> you know that, you know that 98%, especially in seed investing, the very first check into a company, 98, 99% will fail or maybe get a, you know, a single return. You're looking for the one that's going to do a hundred X, right. And that's going to make the fund. And so very much aligned with your, with your answer, Tim. Um, Gwyneth, and as we come down to some of our last questions here, what are some of the trends you're excited about right now? Like, what are you actually following? It could be anything in any category uh, that you're like digging into and you think might be the next big thing. I, I'm pretty sure that this field of highly personalized medicine is going to be the way forward. Um, there's so many startups around kind of, you know, taking our, our personal health data. And I, 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 th I see a real longing for people to be recognized in their sui generis way. Like, well, my, you know, my friend has a, all, a gluten allergy and I don't, and I have a different constitution and I have a different blood type. And we all have gen different genetic predispositions for things. And like, I think we have been treated as, you know, a white middle-aged male, right? Like that's how all the research is, was always done. And the truth is we're so unique. And I think the next frontier of wellness is going to be, I think people really, really want the information. I think they want to know, they want to know what are the signals that they're doing what's right for them and, and feeling better. So I think that that's the thing that I see that is still like a lot of these things are in beta and, you know, you just, ha you ha only have a very few people who are not diabetic wearing a continuous glucose monitor, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I think I can, you know, make the supposition that I'm in Tim's camp around psychedelic healing. And, you know, it's, it's like, we we started to read about this and and talk about it as well a number of years ago and seeing kind of the mass adoption and curiosity um, and really just reading the studies and the data around how lives are being changed with these amazing modalities. Um, I think it's, you know, just as, as it starts to kind of get cleared through the FDA, I think we're going to see a really exciting landscape start to emerge where, where people are, are really healing. And so mm -hmm. I'm excited about that as well. I love those two categories and totally agree. Uh, Tim, would you add any more categories onto the list? Trends that I, trends that I expect or see or, so I would, I would say that's one. And then there's things that I'm deeply personally interested in, which most of the time don't have any, predictive power with trends. <laughs> Just to be clear, it's not like, oh, Tim's is feeling his gout and his 
big toe and that, you know, that's, it's going to be the next big thing. It's like, no, a lot of the time it doesn't uh, actually matter. So on a personal level, I'll say I'm really excited about traditional recurve archery right now, which I expect with almost a hundred percent certainty not to catch on at all as a trend <laughs> with, with anyone, but I'm very personally excited about it on the, on the trend side. I do agree on the personalized medicine side. I would further say that as things, as extreme weather events become more frequent and just advice to my liberal friends out there, maybe use that phrasing as opposed to climate change if you want to have a productive conversation with people across Mm -hmm. the aisle. (laughs) Extreme weather events is pretty neutral. But as we see more and more of that, I do think uh, certainly with legislation being passed that we've seen, investments in, I hesitate to even use the term green tech, but technologies that are producing solutions that are better for customers in some way. That is, they would choose these products or solutions even if they weren't eco-friendly. Tesla probably being, I'm not saying they're not eco-friendly, but I think Tesla is one of the proof cases for accomplishing a cultural prestige shift with a product that is legitimately, compared to most cars, a superior product. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to see a lot more of that. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's that's certainly, I view, inevitable. And mm-hmm. people might be listening and be like, yeah, duh. Well, of course. And I'm like, are you playing in that sandbox? If it's so obvious to you, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, so there's that. I would also say, and this is, I don't want to necessarily end on this note, but if you're just looking to invest, I think banking on lots of escalating physical illnesses is hard to, hard to get around. So, you know, investing in like dialysis clinics and technology, I think probably uh, again, so not a thing It is, I know. And I'm not saying this is not investment advice this is for educational purposes only, but <laughs> people are going to wake up and they're not tracking these things, but pay attention to fertility rates, pay attention to issues. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're headed towards, what is it? Children of man or child of man. It's a movie with Clive Owen some time ago. People should watch that. And anything that has to do with water purification hmm. uh, and... I'll leave it at that. I think water yeah, I doesn't agree. get the attention it deserves, but it will. It will yeah. get the attention it deserves. And those. Uh, so those, those would be a few. And by the way, those are all, all related. Everything I just mentioned, aside from the archery, those are all <laughs> interrelated. Totally uh, agree. And, yeah. And I, I am, I mean, I, I think there is a risk of, paddling for this wave, not knowing what you're doing and getting caught in like a hundred foot face and then being like, oh shit, now what? But I do think as cliched as as this is to say, the intersection of, I I do think blockchain and Web3 are going to fundamentally change how we do a lot of things. Smart Mm -hmm. contracts will change how we conduct many routine transactions that otherwise have many transaction costs. And there are economic incentives. It's not just for the love of the technology. Companies want to embrace a lot of these technologies like NFTs, for instance, so they can have 
recurring revenue streams with secondary and tertiary sales and so on. So I do think that a few years from now, which doesn't mean you should invest in Web3 right now, by the way, but that is here to stay. Uh, you know, $5 million JPEGs, I don't know, maybe. But I do <laughs> think uh, blockchain is certainly uh, going to fundamentally change how a lot of transactions take place uh, with smart contracts. Well. I want to I want to jump in and thank you because you both just rattled off a few of our episodes that we have coming up this season oh, on this podcast. So I didn't even have to prep you for that. Thank you. Um, no, but I think it's a I think it's validating that there are some really core categories that are really interesting and fundamentally like earth shattering for people, um, disease, the planet, et cetera. And um, I'm excited to be able to talk about them. Thank you both so much for being here today. Once again, I mean, two of the foremost, I think, experts in, in identifying <laughs> trends and also, again, like the thick skin to just like follow your curiosity and your own gut and, and, and that intuition inside of you coupled with a bit of data. So Tim, Ferris, and Gwyneth Paltrow, thank you for being first in line to first in line today with me. <laughs> Thanks for having Thank me. Woo. Well, that was a fun episode with two of the biggest powerhouses in the world. <laughs> uh, I hope you all enjoyed it as well. And for me, it got me starting to think about the common denominator between what Tim was saying and what Gwyneth was saying. For me, it boils down to what is the big pain point? Tim says that's the genesis of what he's always looking for when he's coming up with a new idea, a reason for an investment, or even a new business. He says you've got to feel it personally. You've got to solve for one before you solve for others. And for him, that means what's painful for Tim? Maybe it's that he's not feeling great in his body and he wants to go solve for feeling better. Maybe it's that he's working too much and he wants to solve for working less. And he goes deep down the rabbit holes of each one of these things to figure out how to solve these problems for him and then for others. Gwyneth, on the other hand, says that she finds a lot of her opportunities based on what people seem afraid to talk about or discuss. She uses her intuition to figure out where these gaps are. You know, the vagina-scented candle was not about marketing a candle that smelled like vaginas. <laughs> it was about the fact that women seemed afraid to even say the word vagina <laughs> and talk about their body parts and discuss, you know, the power of what it's like to be in the feminine. And Gwyneth used this to take back that power and to give women the ability to be more open, even if they're joking, and talking about their bodies. I think a lot of the conversation also involved this idea of intuition versus data. One of my biggest inspirations, and I would go out there on a limb and say probably many of our biggest inspirations, Oprah, always calls it the whispers. Why is this thing showing up again in your life? Why do you keep thinking about this thing? You keep hearing about it more and more. It crosses your path. Follow the whispers. Explore your curiosities. Listen to your intuition, but go and find the data too. Regardless of these hits or misses, the fact that you're excited enough to explore new ideas and that maybe you'll propel yourself further financially, creatively, or professionally, to me, 
is enough to warrant a bit of attention to what's coming next. Spotting trends is not just something interesting for people who want to start a business or invest money. This is for everyone. It's about tapping into your curiosity when you see something new, when you see it happening more and more, when you feel that personal pain point, and when you're not afraid to take a risk to dive deeper. It's for all these reasons that we made this show first in line. We'll be highlighting all kinds of trends that may or may not be changing the future for the world, for you, for all of us, who knows? Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. I'm not Tim Ferriss. I'm not Gwyneth Paltrow. It's going to be way harder for me to take advantage of new trends. And I agree and disagree. While Tim and Gwyneth probably get served up all kinds of ideas from all kinds of fancy people, they also make decisions about really mundane things quite often. Tim had to figure out when did it feel right to move and where should he move? He chose Austin, a city that was on the rise, that had people in it that he felt like he wanted to be surrounded with to help in his growth. Gwyneth likes to think about social issues and ways to adapt herself to things coming down the line. They're not always for her business. She's using that inner knowing to figure out when to delve in. So how do you find things that are right for you? Well, I think it's a two-step process. First, it starts with self-awareness. You've got to understand who you are. You've got to feel into yourself when you get that spark inside where you want to know more, where you hear the whispers, and you've got to take a risk to dive in. The second step, though, is who to trust. Let's face it, this is a very noisy world. There are a lot of talking heads out there. And frankly, that's why this podcast exists. I am here to try to help you find the best people to learn from in categories of the most game-changing topics who can tell you a little bit about what's coming next and how to take action now. Because when you combine that self-awareness plus knowing who to trust, believe me, it all becomes more clear. This episode is meant to be a guide for you to use forever as to what kinds of risks to take, what kinds of trends to be thinking about, and when to know whether or not you might just be landing on the next big opportunity. If you liked this episode, I would love for you to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your shows. And if you want to follow me, I'm at Brit on just about every social network, or you can follow the podcast at First In Line. 